Hi, everyone. Welcome to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder. I'm a senior director at CFGI, where I help my clients with their most important finance and accounting issues. And today, I'm pleased to welcome Steve Economou, who's managing director at Baker Tilly Capital. We're going to be talking about the challenges and issues around mergers and acquisitions. Steve, welcome to Behind the Numbers. Hi, David. Thanks for having me. So, Steve, I always start off the program by having my guests tell the audience a little bit about who they are and who they work for. So why don't you do that, and then we'll dive in. Thanks, David. Uh, so Baker Tilly is one of the 15 largest accounting and tax and advisory firms with offices throughout the U.S. Uh, we continue to expand nationally, and currently we have 3,600 staff. Baker Tilly Capital is uh, the FINRA broker, broker dealer of Baker Tilly. It's wholly owned. We have 60 professionals with offices in Philadelphia, Chicago, Milwaukee, Madison, and Austin. And our practice is, uh, includes raising capital, mergers and acquisition advisory, and a strategic corporate finance advisory, which is this big bucket of anything that somebody might want us to do around corporate finance. I'm also the president of the Philadelphia chapter of the Exit Planning Exchange, which is a, a cool local organization. Good. That's so it. Cool. Let's talk mergers and acquisitions, shall we? Let's start by talking about the sizes of the companies that you serve so we can set a framework for the folks who are watching and listening. So most of our clients have revenues, I would say, between uh, $15 and $150 million, which is a big range. We call it middle market. Some people call it lower middle market. Yeah. But that's the, that's the kind of company we represent. They're typically uh, owner, entrepreneur, still owned frequently family businesses, and occasionally they, they are public companies where we, we do some work. Okay. So one of the things that, that I'm faced with all the time is when I get phone calls about folks who are looking for valuation because they're contemplating a sale, and they may or may not need a valuation in that context, which, context, which is a different subject. But the, the overriding theme that I think um, I'm seeing is this, this idea that the selling of a business is nothing more than a transaction. And I try to impart this, this belief that it's really a process. What's your take on that? Well, it depends on uh, what you believe. There is certainly a closing when you finally get to it. So if you want to have the single best outcome, I believe it's uh, as an owner, I think it's a, it's a process that for many of our clients, it's a process that takes two to three years um, to be able to do with the most amount of success. Uh, and that's getting prepared and having the right management team and having the management team aligned and having the kind of data that sophisticated buyers expect from a seller. But, but that's to get the best result. Uh, and that's a high valuation and a good, uh, good terms in the deal. Yeah. Can we unpack some of that and talk about why it takes so long? You mentioned um, data uh, and management team. And there's also something that I think you mentioned in one of our earlier conversations, buyer mindset. So um, buyers, um, so, so there's a buyer and a seller in, in every transaction. Uh, sellers have a really good view of their business because they've got a 20-year history uh, with it. A buyer has, certainly when we're representing, a very short uh, time frame to evaluate a business. They don't have 20 years, they may have less than 20 weeks. So uh, they see risk everywhere and the owner has already managed that uh, risk. So buyers would like to see things like uh, 
audited or reviewed financial statements. They'd like to see uh, financial statements and enterprise uh, documents that can tie to the, uh, to the audits. And they like to understand the customer base and where the free cash flow is coming uh, from the business. So that takes uh, good data for them to understand. Yeah, and in that construct what you just described there, it's what I consider de-risking the business, right? So when you think about evaluation, it's the present value of future cash flows, generally speaking, and those future cash flows are brought back at a risk rate into today's dollars. So when we talk about de-risking audited financial statements, reviewed financial statements is part of that. When you talk about the management team, Steve, how important is that and what's their role and responsibility in a transaction process? So that's uh, management teams uh, critical and so many entrepreneurial businesses have relied on the entrepreneur for nearly their whole history. That entrepreneur may be the chief salesperson, uh, they may be the chief purchasing officer, they may be the chief everything. But frequently our clients, are, the entrepreneur is mid to late 60s, they want to retire, the buyer, uh, they want to leave shortly after closing, but the buyer wants to make sure that the business runs and who's going to run the business. Most buyers today do not have ex excess uh, staff to run a new business. They don't have the, the time, so they need the existing uh, company to run itself. To do that, if the entrepreneur is going to exit, they need a, a good second-tier management team. Yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit about the psychology of risk. Where, where are the blind spots that the, for sellers? So the blind spots for sellers are um, they're potentially everywhere. So a seller looks at their uh, business as a cash flow generating asset for themselves. They, they review it much like they would do, uh, bad analogy, but like a CD or a bank account. I, I make $2 million a year, I count on it every year, it doesn't have much risk to me, I know exactly how to do that. From a buyer's perspective, they have a cost of capital that's probably going to be well more than 2 to 5%, so they see just the cost of funds are, are, are different, so the, uh, or at least the perception of the cost of funds is different. Uh, the seller knows everything about the business and the buyer knows essentially nothing about the business. So they, they evaluate it much differently. Steve, for the people who are watching and listening and want to learn more about you or how they can contact you to work with you, what's the best way to reach you? So uh, my phone number works. Uh, that's 215-557-2219. My email works. Uh, that's steve.economy at bakertilly.com. And I'm also on LinkedIn. Great. Continuing this theme of psychology of risk, um, when, when things don't go right, are, are sellers typically thinking that it's just bad luck? Uh, many sellers... Um, Where's the ownership in that? <laughs> uh, that's a hard question. I, I don't want to just put it on sellers of businesses, but I think it's just human nature to evaluate how things go, and if something goes well, then that's the result of my good planning and good decision making, and if something goes poorly, then it's a result of just bad luck and something totally out of my control. I'm, I think buyers understand that, but uh, sellers 
sometimes they get behind the market, they get, a, they, get, um, they get constrained with the way we've always done things or they're constrained by the, their team and they can't, can't grow anymore uh, or other things. So th there's a lot of uh, different problems that you have running a medium-sized business. Gotcha. Okay. So, you know what? We're going to take a quick commercial break here. Uh, we only have just a couple minutes left, but I think we're going to do a quick break now so we don't go down a rabbit hole. So, folks back in the studio, if you could take us away here, we'll pay a few bills and we'll be right back on Behind the Numbers. Looking for a peaceful place to ride with no pressure? Here at Suffolk Stables, we offer many lesson horses of all shapes and sizes. Whether you are a beginner, or you are experienced, or just want to get back in the saddle. From ages 3 and up, we have horses of various levels for you to enjoy and train with. Come take a ride on our beginner safe horses and learn the basics, or move your training along and learn to jump, or polish your jumping skills on our seasoned jumping horses in our sand and stone dust outdoor jumper ring. After your lesson, take a walk to cool down on our racetrack, which is five-eighths of a mile long. If you're looking to take dressage, we have lessons in our outdoor full-size ring and offer experienced dressage coaches. Suffolk Stables has a large indoor arena for year-round riding, which also has wonderful dust-free footing. Are you looking to show? Here at Suffolk Stables, we offer a full show series for spring and fall. We offer three rings active at the same time with three separate judges. Dressage on the grass, hunters and jumpers, plus money classes in our beautiful outdoor jumping ring. Plus English and Western classes, money classes, ranch riding, and classes for miniature horses in our indoor arena. We hold a year-end awards banquet every year to show our appreciation for all the hard work of the riders, trainers and parents throughout the year. Suffolk Stables offers help through our non-profit for people looking for scholarships. We aid with the cost of lessons and showing throughout the year and to groups that are just looking to experience horses. Visit us at www.suffolksafe.org or contact the number on your screen for more information. Suffolk Stables also offers our beautiful farm for venues such as weddings and other celebrations or events. Come join us for a lesson or an experience. Gift certificates are available and all forms of payment are accepted to include Venmo and PayPal. We look forward to a visit from you soon. Visit our website at www.suffolkstables.com and enjoy the ride. Welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder. Today we're talking mergers and acquisitions with Steve Economou, a Managing Director at Baker Tilly Capital. Steve, I want to start off this second segment by talking about timing. Um, sometimes people call me and they're thinking about selling a business and I'm, I'm asked occasionally, uh, is now the right time to be thinking about selling? I always use a house analogy, right? So if you're a homeowner and the housing market may be up, but if you're not really thinking about moving and you're not ready to move, why do you take advantage of that? How, how does this translate in terms of uh, the M&A market? Is, is there hot, are there hot markets? Are there better times that people well, should be are, thinking about there selling? Are, there are, uh, there's certainly better times, and the better times are better than the bad times. So if you're in an economic down cycle and in a recession, it's probably not the best time to sell the business. 
now we're in 10 years of good times. So it is a, generally a good time to, to, sell the, to sell a business, but that's not the only thing to think about. What is the, what's going on in the shareholder base? Do the shareholders need liquidity? Are the shareholders ready? What's going on in the industry? What's going on in the company? What's going on in the management team? And uh, is the company ready to use the house analogy? Has it been painted in a neutral color and can people come in and take a look at it and think that they can drive it off? Or bad analogy, but do you think they can move in right away? Yeah, Let, let's talk about that in, in terms of the process of getting ready. What do businesses need to do to be prepared so that it's kind of a turnkey operation? There's a there's a number of things. If there's, uh, first of all, the, sh the shareholder or the shareholders have to be mentally prepared with uh, the sale, that is, I, I'm, I'm going to lose uh, this, this part of my family. Can I mentally deal with that? Sometimes organizational psychologists are involved. Uh, it, am I going to have enough net worth after the transaction to live my life the way I need to? It's also part of the planning. You don't want to go into the process and then be disappointed when uh, the funds flow statement comes out with how much you're going to make. So that's uh, that's another consideration. Is my management team incented and aligned with uh, with the ownership group to sell? Have I put that in place? Uh, do I have, uh, am I going to pay people? Uh, what's my customer base like? Where are my contracts? Uh, where are, um, what's the quality of my information systems? Uh, what's the quality of my financial statements? Is something good looming or is something bad looming? All those things go into thinking about when's the right time to sell or go to market. A lot of stuff you mentioned there, but one of the things that I jotted down, which you mentioned early on, was be prepared to lose a part of the family. So I think you're alluding to the idea that the business is the, the, the seller's baby, so to speak. Well, so many uh, businesses confiscate the owner's time. And in, in many cases, they spend more time with the business than they do with their, their children. And that just, it's just, uh, that's just life. And so it becomes part of their persona and where they go. And we've had owners that have said, I'll sell the business, but I need to have an office at the company for five years. I just need some place to go. Uh, those are all just part of the considerations. And are they actually involved in the business or they just need a place to go hang out? Well, uh, in, in that particular instance, they were not going to be involved after, after closing. Okay. They had been, actually they hadn't been up to that time very much, but they just wanted to have, it was part of their identity. The name was on the door. They had planted the flowers in front of the uh, office and they wanted to, have that part of their identity not go away immediately. Gotcha. A lot of times we hear about management meetings, you know, the due diligence process and, and buyer-seller relationships. Can you shed some light for the audience as to what actually transpires in those management meetings? Let me go back a little bit on a uh, typical process. Um, that's one that can involve uh, many potentially interested parties. So the first thing we do is We'll, we'll call somebody on a blind basis, we'll send them an executive summary or teaser, uh, see if they have any, any interest just based on broad parameters. We'll ask them to sign an NDA, we'll send them uh, some more information uh, that's much more descriptive of the business, call it a confidential information memorandum. We'll ask them to submit an indication of interest, and once the high bidders are identified, we'll go to a management uh, meeting. And in the management meeting, uh, the way that the way that I like to do it uh, depends on 
the skills of the entrepreneur and the management team? Are they good presenters or are they just backslappers and don't need a, a long script? So I've had really successful ones that have been uh, managers with a very long PowerPoint deck and the whole management team's there and they're presenting their part of the business and those can go well if the management team is the right management team for that. I've also had uh, great success with owner entrepreneur who pulls a uh, a pen and a note out of his uh, breast pocket and just reads from that. But it really depends on the skills of the management team and their comfort level with that. So is it a matter of establishing chemistry at that point or is it really a matter of presenting facts and circumstances that drive the uh, the outcome? It's a it, it's both. I I I'm the facts matter and the quality of the business matters and where it's going and how it's going to grow and whether the the CEO can articulate uh, the future for this and the uh, and and under new ownership how it's going to work that's uh, very important but also buyers want to start getting a, uh, a sense of trust that the seller is not just uh, somebody trying to sell them a bill of goods that they um, and they get a sense of not just the business but the individual and the individual shareholders in the case of a management team the quality of the management team and is it somebody they want to employ yeah you alluded to it briefly, but I want to go down the rabbit hole here just a little bit more deeply with regard to growth. How important is growth in driving not only a sale, but in terms of value of a business? Well, growth is a, is, well, you know, right? Growth yeah. is a, a very <laughs> leading the witness, so to speak. There. Right. Growth is a very important element in, in valuation. Companies, they grow faster, uh, have more value. It's just valuation uh, arithmetic. And, and many people, you'll hear the the phrase, if you're not growing, you're dying. So if you're a business that's not growing, you're probably losing value each year. So that's just how valuation works. Um, and, and in terms of a business that's not growing, you may get a very low value relative to uh, others in your industry and you may be confused uh, why. And it doesn't matter that you grew uh, 15% five years ago, you just haven't grown now. Yeah, and I wanted you to address that specifically. So it's a different voice that, that's that's preaching that piece, so to speak, because sometimes when businesses get to that steady state where they're just chugging along and they're consistently growing, but at a very slow pace, that's not really the growth that a, a buyer is going to be looking for. It may be the difference between uh, four times EBITDA multiple just to pull something out and seven times. Yeah, buyers will pay for growth. Buyers will pay for growth, let's, let's, sustainable growth. Let's talk a little bit about a buyer demographic, if we could. We'll talk about the strategic buyer versus a financial buyer. What's Is there a best outcome for a seller in, among those two categories? So one of the things that we always talk about with sellers, are, what are your goals in a transaction beyond just highest price? There's, there's price, there's terms, there's taxation, which is a very important element. There's employees and for many owners in small towns community so we ask them for their best outcome there's certainly several companies we've talked to recently they're very concerned about uh, their employee base and their community in a sale transaction so they had they they say we're not interested in the last nickel but 
we want a fair deal for all of our constituents. Uh, more times than not, when you get close to closing, uh, many of our clients want the last nickel, but we'll, uh, we'll see. Yeah, Steve, for folks watching and listening who want to learn more about you, how can they reach you? My phone number is 215-557-2219. My email is steve.economy.bakertilly.com, and I am on LinkedIn as well. Great. You just mentioned a few of the, the additional considerations besides the last nickel, and I jotted a few things down. We want, I want to talk a little bit about the importance of the deal structure in, in with regard to monetizing value. But before we get into that, I do want to ask you, for those sellers who have the concern about community, have the concern about employees, and if that's really a strategic imperative for them, is there a way for you to kind of button that down and, and hold the buyer to the buyer's feet to the fire to make sure they live up to those expectations? So when we communicate with sellers or with buyers at the outset, we'll say, here are important considerations for our client. And that might be, um, we have a management incentive uh, plan in place to keep them so that they get part of the proceeds, but additionally, you want to see employment agreements uh, for them. We want to understand your intentions as part of your letter of intent towards the facility. Um, and customer contracts, et cetera. So we'll, we will ask for that, and we'll ask uh, potential buyers to specifically address some of those softer issues, and we'll leave it to uh, the client to evaluate the answers uh, to those questions. Yeah, and I guess some of that also comes back to the management meetings and building the trust that you referred to, and understanding when you look somebody in the eye as to whether or not you can believe them. And so, Sometimes a, a real estate is a, an important part of a transaction because owners frequently own it outside of the business, but it may be an important asset. It may not be an important asset, but if that's where the manufacturing is done, uh, we'll ask for the for a lease. Uh, we'll show the lease, ask them whether they're going to be committed and how long to that facility. But it's also incumbent on the owner to say why that is a good facility and why it can uh, run for the for more than the next couple of months yep. after closing, so we try to get the owners to explain why it's a good facility and why it's a good employee base. Yeah, awesome. Let's talk about the deal structure. Um, sometimes sellers don't receive cash on the barrelhead. Uh, different terms and conditions. Sometimes there's earnouts. How important is structuring the transaction in the entire process? Well, structure is. Um, very important. I, I had one client uh, who's a buyer who said, I, I'll, I don't care what my top top number is. I'll, I'm happy to pay $20 million for something so long as I can uh, pay a, a dollar a day for the next 20 years. I, I don't, it doesn't matter. So that's, that's part of it. Whatever is not paid at closing is risked uh, outside of a, in my opinion, uh, an escrow account. The um, Taxation is extraordinarily important, so we really encourage um, clients to talk with uh, tax advisors prior to closing, especially because so many entities are flow-through entities, and buyers don't like to buy stock of small companies, uh, typically. They may have to. Um, uh, Earnouts and all of those things are uh, very complicated and take a lot of negotiation um, and, and take a lot of uh, a lot of emotions attached with negotiating earnouts. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. We only have a couple of minutes left in the program, Steve, and I really want to tease out some of your experience and expertise and, and talk to the audience about where sellers go wrong. What, what have you seen? Um, what can people be doing to avoid those pitfalls that you've experienced in, in your uh, selling? So one of the things that I, I think sellers do wrong is when they want to, uh, when they're not committed to the sale, that is they, they want to test the market and see if they get a uh, market clearing price uh, quickly with easy terms. I, that has certainly happened. It's not a high probability event. Mm -hmm. So uh, I don't think it's good for somebody to talk to a bunch of buyers over several years just waiting for somebody to give them the price and terms that they, they want. It creates exposure, it creates uncertainty with the employee base. So th that's one mistake. The, the other mistake is uh, not being fully prepared. It's not having good quality financial statements, not having the management team aligned, and not knowing what you really want out of the deal, and not being mentally prepared to part with this, this important part of your life. Yeah. How important is the so-called key man, the owner-operator, um, who may be reluctant to build out a deep team who can literally succeed them or replace them because they're too busy working in the business? So when we talk to potential buyers, uh, that, that question comes out right away. One of them is, why are they selling? Uh, and how important is this individual to the business? Who has the customer relationships or may, who may have the key vendor relationships? If we can't establish that that goes beyond the, the, the seller or the owner, then buyers are frequently going to look for a, a time commitment beyond, uh, beyond a year for that person to stay and help transition the business to their ownership. That is one of the reasons that owners rationalize the strategic buyers best because mm -hmm. they know everything and they can just come in and run it. Sometimes that's right. Sometimes... Uh, that is not right. Yep. We only have maybe 90 seconds, but I want to get your thoughts on the auction process. There's positives as well as negatives. What's your perspective on conducting an auction? When's it appropriate? Well, I think it's appropriate when the company has the size, scale, and preparation to do so in, in a large uh, potential uh, marketplace for the company. And nowadays, that's private equity firms. And so if you have um, more than three to five million dollars of earnings before the interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization, EBITDA, uh, you can, and you have a good business, you can get a broad, broad auction. That doesn't describe everybody, and sometimes a rifle shot is a better approach. Yep, understood. Steve, thank you for joining us. Thanks, David. We, we've been talking mergers and acquisitions today with Steve Economo, Managing Director at Baker Tilly Capital. Uh, if you enjoyed this program today, enjoyed the conversation, please hit the subscribe button. And you can always feel free to reach out to me after the program. I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. And until next time, take care. We'll see you on Behind the Numbers again.